And so we might say this is an experience of the void. You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we work to make sense of the borderlands of digital media, culture, politics, and memes. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is memeticist Dr. Jamie Cohen. Today, we welcome writer of A Game Designer's Analysis of QAnon and director of Curiouser Institute, Reed Berkowitz. Everybody that you know and like is telling you one thing, and they're pointing out all these news articles, and they're pointing out all these real politicians and people saying the same things. When the president is saying that, that, that the election is rigged and it's stolen, why should you not believe it? You, you almost have to believe in a conspiracy theory in order to not believe in a conspiracy theory, right? You have to believe that the president is, is creating, you know, tre- is, is, is treasonous. Make sure to subscribe to Digital Void on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform now. Can you tell us what are ARGs, LARPs, experience fictions, interactive theater, and serious games? (laughs) (laughs) They get me in so much trouble. Well, the, the alternate reality game name is always in dispute. I mean, nobody really loves it. But um, the only alternatives are worse. So uh, we all keep calling it that. Basically, though, I categorize ARGs and uh, immersive theater and all that sort of stuff together under experience fiction. Um, it's just basically fiction that you that that the medium is reality. So uh, it's not in a book. It's not in a movie. It's happening in, quote, real life, even though um, you know that it's not real. It's still fiction. That's the key point. Yeah, that's cool. How did you get into this? How did, how did you? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to reveal too much about me, but I started when I was 13. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I made my first experience fiction for my uh for my neighbors and got into a lot of trouble because I broke into their house and left a note pinned with a knife to their pillow as the rabbit hole and their parents made me promise not to break into their house anymore. So uh, I've always been doing it, I guess. I was the teenage DM and uh, just in every medium that I encountered, I would try to apply these, you know, can we make it more real? feeling to it that's incredible leads us to the the question i i mean i got a lot of exploratory trouble i was never a dm in my youth um but they and i feel like there's a lot of creativity that goes into being a dm and making sure that the other players can really understand like what's going on in the worlds you build for them so does that give you is that what gave you a lot of insight into putting this piece together this article um yeah, I just think that, I don't know, when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of choices. There was, you know, Atari and there mm-hmm. was Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it wasn't like today where, you know, there's so many choices of things to do. Um, but I, I think I've always been fascinated with the idea of creating fictions that you can play in reality. That's always been uh, a really interesting thing to me. So um, I have always been doing it, but also applied it in work. And as I got older and got the skills uh, to produce for many people, I did that. And, you know, they enjoyed it as much as the neighborhood kids. (laughs) So that's got to feel rewarding, right? Yeah, it does. And plus, it's fun. You know, um, I think that 
the the whole idea of creating things for people in reality that are actually fiction is what really clued me into what was going on with QAnon. And, and a lot of other ARG producers as well looked at it and said, wow, they are totally using our techniques here. Wow. So I wasn't the only one at all. So you mentioned at the heaviest beginning part of the article, one of the biggest complications for any game designer in this field, and what also happens to be the driving factor uh, behind a lot of the QAnon experience, experience, I don't want to even use that phraseology, but um, the QAnon thing um, is apophenia. <laughs> Can you explain apophenia? Yeah, um, apophenia is the finding of connections um, in random data where no connections exist. So it's finding meaning in random data. Um, mm. It's basically being wrong. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, um, <laughs> that's a great explanation. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, and it, it's, it's not a bad thing in and of itself. In fact, this is what helps us solve problems. If we can look at things and tease out their meaning, you know, that's how science works. That's how imagination, you know, works. If you can look at a cloud and imagine, you know, it's this or that, that's not dangerous or bad, you know, that's great. And you can write a story about it and you can feel things about it, but you have to know it's not real. And I think that, um, for instance, the scientific process, a lot of it is simply about uh, avoiding apophenia. Uh, it, but encouraging it at the same time. So you create your hypothesis and then there's a whole rigorous process of testing it. And you're most likely going to be wrong. You know, science is mostly about failing to the correct solution. Um, and yet the aha moment that you have when you come up with your answer is just as wonderful feeling, whether you're correct or incorrect. You don't find out that until later. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, this game, quote game, it's not really a game, but uh, the, the Q phenomenon is, is based on, on just that first half, you know, finding that aha moment um, by connecting unrelated information together and feeling great about it. And then that's it. That's the end. So through your own experience, how did you know this was something that was going to be like an insidious, insidious part of our life? And when did you realize that? Like, what, how, how is it? more recent or is it like something you came across when Q and Pizzagate was kind of like just starting or when, when did it become like, Oh my gosh, this is the experience, the phenomenon that they're creating using these, these models and tools. I would say it was always a part of game design. I think I'm sure any game designer will try to tell you any, any DM will mm -hmm. try to tell you how hard it is to keep people on track and to not let them go off um, into the wilds. And that's why you, you know, early video games had all these invisible walls and things that, you know, suddenly you'd bump up against like, no, that's not the right way. Yeah. Um, however, I didn't see it in a social context until Gamergate. Oh, all right. And, and I, and I didn't know what it was then. I just mm -hmm. was like, that is awful. That is weird. What is, <laughs> yeah. that is not natural. Mm -hmm. Like what is going on here? And then when, when Q came out, it, it felt very obvious to me because it was literally something that, you know, I'd been doing for a long time. So yeah, we Josh and I often actually bring this up with other guests and everybody. It's just that kind of like the Dale Barron approach, which is like everything is Gamergate. Like we, we live within that structure <laughs> now, like that horrible yeah. framework is now has poisoned it so much that it's kind of like everything becomes that. I like what you said 
in the and this is like a really important part of the article for me. And I I taught uh, game studies at Stony Brook, and then I I brought it to um, Malloy, where I started a game studies program there. And one of the things that we talk about, one of the early conversations, is what you refer to as the track, keeping it on track. Uh, and I like what you write, and you say you can't you can't go off the tracks unless there is a track. So what is that like as a game designer? Um, to design it, you mentioned like in in early games they build in these like coded structures. But like when you're dealing with like interactive theater or experience fiction, how do you know where the track is and isn't, and and how do you maintain that? Well, you have a basic structure, a story structure, one that you feel is going to give the best you know entertainment value. So you want them to figure out the clues, have that great aha moment, confront the boss, you know, defeat them using what they know. And so you've constructed this kind of really cool, you know, narrative arc. Now, the problem is that the more agency that the players have, the more chance they can go off. The, those are the rails, right? You're, the rails are your optimal story experience. Now, the players can choose if they have a lot of, choice like in an ARG it's literally in reality there's no way to rein them in except by luring them you know with a cool story they want to pursue the story because they're hopefully trust that you have a good you know experience for them but they can go way off they can do whatever they want same in Dungeons and Dragons now in Dungeons and Dragons or a game that is or even immersive theater you try to figure out who you're dealing with and what they might do and you try to um, anticipate where things might go off the rails and build in your buffers to keep them on track. Um, this is an example. Uh, maybe you've heard of in, in, in the ARG game, uh, I think it was Year Zero with Trent Reznor. Um, you know, they had this big concert um, with Trent Reznor performing at the end of it, and it's really cool. But they, and then they, then they wanted to like raid the concert, and the bad guys come in or the good guys come in. I don't, I don't remember what it was, but they raid them, and they want them all to go run back on the bus because that's where the story continues. That's where they yeah. get your merch, and you, mm -hmm. you know, you go back yeah. to your thing, right? Um, but they, but the the game developers thought, you know, there's going to be some people who aren't going to buy this. They're just going to hang around and be like, oh yeah, make me. You uh -huh. know what I mean? Like yeah. this isn't real. You can't touch me. So they, they had some people that were planted on the bus with them as regular people. And these people hung out with the people who stayed. And there were some people who were just like, yeah, I'm not running back on the bus. Oh, and so wow. they, they stood there and waited. And then, um, you know, one of the, you know, the, the cop guys or whatever, you know, the people in the black mask and everything came over and just brutalized one of them. <laughs> slam them to the ground right and then the other two were like oh my god you know and they went onto the bus but it was all planned yeah. it was uh you know so so you you try to anticipate and you try to build things in to keep it on on the rails and you don't always succeed now the thing about apophenia that's that's great is that you know for instance if you're running a dungeons and dragons campaign and they come up with a solution quote a solution that's better than what you had you know behind the screen you can just yeah, all right, I'm going to go with that. That sounds great. Right. And, you know, and then they feel like they, they had an even better time than what you had originally planned. Um, and But in reality, you, it's very hard to do that, or, or especially in a video game where, where it's all pre-coded. Right, and at scale. It seems like yeah. Q has figured it out in terms of scale, as in, like, if you have uh, a creative solution or creative, like, like the Q method of figure out yourself or even the worst, like do your own research. 
uh, <laughs> is like this this agency delivery. Like it's like, oh, here we're giving you extra agency. But at that point, like it doesn't seem like there's a track anymore. It just seems like now you could invent your own path. Like how does that even play into any type of way that, in other words, like if there's no end to the game, does that seem like it's going to be like a good sustainable model or when it's at scale, it just seems to just be that way anyway? I think that, you know, they're using a different model. So I feel like, you know, I want to give them some credit that they are competent and do this pretty well. So I'm looking at the results of the Q experiment and assuming that those are their goals. Um, so their goals seem to be to radicalize and to confuse and to create a force multiplier for these conspiracy theories. So they do have um, rails in a certain sense. They want to guide people to destructive behaviors that feel urgent, that need to be acted on. Um, and so, you know, I may have gotten a little bit off, off topic here, but uh, it, it, it works to me more like one of those teenage uh, role plays, not a role playing game, which is based on statistics, but a, but a social role play, which can go on forever and ever and ever, uh, where, you know, whatever feels best is the right answer. As long as it meets the requirements and goals of the propaganda, then yeah, there's no, there's no solution, right? There's no, they're not really solving real things. They're not really helping child trafficking organizations. Right. Child trafficking organizations are begging them to stop. Yeah. So what are they doing is they're feeling great about themselves. <laughs> you know, that's what games do, right? You know, you, you slay the dragon and you feel great about yourselves. You, you feel happy and powerful and you fought the forces of evil and it wasn't really that hard. <laughs> Unlike actual solving problems in the real world. But in this case, them feeling good about themselves is at the expense of others. Like they, they, this is like, I think you bring it up about the insidious nature of this, which is that it does actually cause not just problems in it, it's radicalization and, and recruitment, but it's actually hurting people. Like whether it be yeah. children or actual campaigns that help people, they're, they're now in the way, but they, I guess they still see it as like a model of pathway or a way forward or a way toward a quote unquote solution, even when that, that solution doesn't exist. You know, someone asked me about culpability, whether the people playing this have culpability and they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every, we all do. We, we all do. I mean, I think that even, I, I mean, I, I have a lot of sympathy for the people who are in QAnon and I think that a lot of them don't have culpability. They're wandering around kind of like, is this true? Is this true? You know? And I think as long as you are questioning and also not acting, um, you're still okay. You're in that gray zone. You know what I mean? But as soon as you start acting on it or passing things around or, or whatever, then you are crossing into an area where we're all responsible for our actions. Whatever your actions are and whatever the reasons for your actions, you're still responsible. And I feel like um, this is this is tied into you know so many things that I'm not an expert on, but racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia. When you feel better about yourself because you believe in a lie, that lie should not be something that literally hurts other people or you are essentially, you know, a bad person. 
I hate to say it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. No, I I we, I mean we have I mean it's not even just a stance. It is an actual I think one of the best parts here your essay is where it says Q is fiction. You know, it's like that is such a phenomenal framework to just approach this by because within the construct of an ARG or or experiential um uh, experience fiction. It's when you get to the point where Q is just actually fiction. It's like kind of interesting in and of itself. So you're, you, you break down like these four elements of like games versus Q and, and how those things work from the breadcrumbs, the Eureka effect, lamestream media community. And I'd love to just expound a little bit on the part with the lamestream media, because that's the study that I've been doing for years, which is this slow, deconstruction of authority and like where where information comes from and so since 2008 like there's been this uh disenfranchisement from media like the non-representational and so that built in natural distrust yeah like it is that from a game designer's perspective do you when you're making a game do you have to create those types of like areas of like uh questioning the environments you could come to conclusions or is that just something that happened with this unfortunate like phenomenon that's been so scaled up oh i i think that absolutely this comes from a longer this is this is really the propaganda message this isn't even part of the gameplay i mean i think that the idea of questioning the goodwill of of, of your fellow citizens is key to all of this stuff right you know you have to trust that that you know, rich people are evil and uh, politicians are evil and Jews and scientists and you know, <laughs> you, you know you have to you have to have a, a massive amount of distrust in order for conspiracy theories to function, right? I mean, you know, and that means that you have to have a lot of distance from these things. So, for instance, um, I have a science background, so I'm I feel pretty trusting of scientists. I know them personally, and I I don't feel like they are. I understand the process, so for me, it seems really unusual to question what a, you know a, a scientific organization says because I literally know the process of how things are peer reviewed and you know what they go through. And I think that there are types of questionings of the scientific organizations that are necessary and crucial, and they're kind of built in. Um, However, if you don't have any exposure to it, you can project anything you want onto them. Same with any other group, same with rock stars or, you know, whoever Q, you know, picks targets that are very far removed. But this questioning of the press, you know, that's the that's the real one. That's the one Trump is always attacking because, um, you know, this is fundamental. This is so fundamental to being able to create an alternate reality for real. I mean, in a game, you don't have to do any of that because people already come into it knowing it's fiction, right? But but to make that switch of like, no, this is not fiction, somehow you have to disbelieve everything else around you that's telling you it's fiction. Right. So it has to be there. That's incredible. There was a part in the middle of summer, I think, when the you, you mentioned in the article too, is the, the Wayfair conspiracy theory and... When everything, I think at a certain point, everything became Q, like everything became QAnon, like it kind of became an umbrella conspiracy, which it already is because that young woman on uh, TikTok expounded a a scientific article about where there's a certain point of point of no return conspiracy theories. And we actually just talked to David Nyward about this, which is once you get to a level of distrust or belief in a lie, then you, once you've believed the lie bigger than the reality, then it's really hard to come back because 
as you mentioned, like one of the hardest things is like understanding that like it's a proof itself is like this constant process of understanding that it's okay to be wrong. And when the conspiracy theory, like especially the, the worst yeah. and darkest parts, the, the anti-Semitic parts of it started merging with these very strange uh, child trafficking bits. That's, um, that's where like a lot of this became like, uh, like scary in a larger sense, like something like almost like you could play around with reality a little bit. You could like tease the idea of uh, where Trump would say fake news. But once you start like believing that, then it's like that old belief of like science isn't a belief. You know, it's like there's there's a reason we do peer review. There's a reason we do like everything. It's I have a I have a peer reviewed paper on Pepe the Frog. You know, it's like the <laughs> the way that the way we get that in published in in journals though is like you have to put that into the world and reviewers have to check to make sure that what you're saying makes some sort of sense in a semblance of reality. When that Wayfair conspiracy theory happened. That was fictionalized from an, an entirely internet world based on, you could, we, Josh and I ran like this memes, meme literacy uh, uh, workshop in the summer and we explained the Wayfair conspiracy theory is explainable, but it's complicated. So do you think that when things become complicated, people just, do they, do they just give up or do they, do they actually want to know more about what brings it there? Or when somebody gives them the answer, they're just like, oh, that sounds right. Well, yeah, I don't think they're being given the the answer. I think they're being given, you know, the the most pleasurable story. No, there you go. <laughs> right? yeah. I, think, I think that's what this is all about yeah. still. And I think that, you know, um, like something like, uh, something like Wayfair. Everything in fiction is going to feel better than reality, right? It's designed to, right? There there could be a million stories, but the ones that catch on are the ones that really. Uh, you know, appeal to people, right? So the idea that uh, a group of people on the internet could stop a child trafficking network, you know, is is wonderful. You know, I would I would want to stop one. You know, it's like it, it's very exciting. But the mechanisms of fiction are so compelling to us and so important to us that you can definitely override reality. In fact, in many ways, that is what fiction is designed to do. You know, our ego, our fictional construct that we call ourself, right, is built to override our biology in a lot of ways. You know, a, a two-year-old will hit you, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and they have to be inoculated with humanity. You know, they have to be told over and over again, not to do it and to want something intangible more than the cookie that the other kid has, you know, um, honor, love, these things will cause people to die, literally to kill themselves or to kill others, right? Th this stuff is so important. And when it, and, and I think this like point of no return, the way I would mirror that in my own fictional world would be that, you know, we have this amazing ability to try out kind of ideas right you know when we read a book we become that kind of fictional character and we can see the world the way they do but then we can also put it down and just go back to ourselves right or we can take little parts of it and and use them in ourselves right um but when you but when something becomes a core when you let it become a core part of your personality that you know you are a warrior fighting this holy battle against, <laughs> you know, pedophiles. Well, that's you now. Right. Now, when someone confronts you with that, you will literally 
take it as a personal attack physically. Yeah. You will physically feel like you need to defend yourself against it. And that, for me, is probably the point of no return because it is very hard to change people's core beliefs. So it takes a long time maybe to get to that core belief quietly online with a lot of help from a lot of people you know, in, in QAnon and other places. But once you get there, once you're part of that group and once that outlook becomes your own, yes, it's very, very hard to take it away. And you can say, well, you know, but it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't match reality. And that doesn't matter at all. I mean, humans are built to live in, in, in the unknown. You know, mm -hmm. we don't know how, any fraction of what's happening around us or why. So we create theories and structures and we, and we are truth seekers, but we're built to live in a fictional world. Right. You know, well, that is, that is excellent, man. That is incredible explanation of this. That is, it's overwhelming. Sometimes I was telling Josh earlier that like reading your article, like puts me in like this weird emotional space where it's like, I can't like almost like I can't believe this is happening, but at the same time, it makes sense that it's happening. And now doing our research of like conspiracy theories, rabbit holes, and like the the idea of like red pilling uh, family members, that that part was pretty dark because it seems yeah. like they're they've created a tool set that requires them to increase their population for this to like like keep going, and so it's like they need other. I, I don't like using the term players here, but they kind of need other people to participate so they can kind of keep it real like kind of keep the yeah. the the idea that it it's it, this is something we're doing we're participating and that's your your bit about the community was interesting because they have felt disenfranchised by some sort of disenfranchisement whether that be political disenfranchisement media disenfranchisement some way in which they they no longer feel like they belong to some sort of system and what they're doing is they're enfranchising each other like in a very perverted way like they're they are doing the thing. They're they're enfranchising. They're just not doing it civically. It's like anti-civic. Yeah, and I think that's due to the people who are running, you know, Q, right? I mean, I think that they're they're going to these forums where they know that they're going to be disenfranchised, isolated people. You know, they're doing it on 4chan and 8chan. You know, uh, this is a classic tool mm -hmm. of people who are are trying to radicalize people, you know, they're offering them like a cult they're offering that, but not in, in the same way they're off. I don't, I don't mean to say it's a cult, but they're offering them a, a really great community of people that accept them no matter what they're like and um, something fun to do and maybe even a purpose. And that is hard to beat. That's just hard to beat. Uh, you know, and I, I think that, you know, this, this, the isolation, that we have in society and the um, you know the lack of meaningful experience in the present is really awful and covid has even made it worse and then i mean on top of this this idea of like you know living in in a fictional world as normal i, I mean i think that's really the way you have to look at it. i mean I, if you're jewish or christian or something like that you live already in a world that has a lot of things that you may not even believe in, <laughs> but you act as if you do. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was, I was brought up Jewish and, and there's angels and arcs and burning bushes. And as a kid, you're at, you're like, is this true? And everyone's like, yeah, that's absolutely true. 
and you're like i don't see him i don't know any of this stuff you know and they're just like well we're gonna have this big celebration about it so it must be true you know you ask kids about santa claus or you know whatever like that's really true like yes it is and you may not fully believe it but you're gonna act it so i so i think that q has a lot of that too i don't think everybody that's in q believes 100 percent everything so there's then that the idea of like making it real right so they can manifest reality if they try and so there's two things that come to mind one is in your article you refer to like the making it real like they there's no evidence but then when news covers it it goes on political discourse it becomes the cover of the atlantic magazine now it becomes its own proof like almost like a like you're throwing out garbage and people are just like what what existed you know and that proof now manifests itself in almost like a physical space that so and I, I want to get your opinion on LARPing here with the Q shaman that was so visibly prominent during the insurrection that like, is that part of the plan for them to create proof that it exists? Um, I think that, you know, and again, I'm, I'm just supposing here, but, I, but to me, if I were creating this system and I wanted people to think that it was real and I have seen people in ARGs do this as well, you know, I would put articles in papers, you know, I would want to surround, I would surround the, the people with as much of a sense of reality as possible, even though they still know it's a game, but it, it's more fun. So, so this whole, like, so while they're doing the fake news thing, they're also creating fake news. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't know, if, I think this is in the article, but if, um, if you are in queue, right, and you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you're in this group and everybody's feeding you the same stories or possibilities, or wouldn't this be cool, or is that possible? And then linking out to all of these new, quote, news organizations that all seem just as prominent as the news that you click through and before you know and they're telling you the same exact story and then you're looking up at the press and the the the, you know lamestream media and they're like oh boo don't believe that and then this person's like no believe this and then the president is like no believe you know believe this and and you're like wow okay like i can choose i need to choose here it's not it's like a choice between two realities that seem maybe equal so it's pretty compelling i mean i mean that's why you know people are like oh well this is organic you know and i'm like i don't really think it is organic because of the you know the amount of of uh if it's organic it is tying into something that isn't organic it's it's looking at this whole you know that we know that there are just rooms of people writing fake articles and creating fake publications like we, that's not you know under debate right we know this is happening youtube removes you know like 10,000 a day sometimes i mean you know these accounts are enormous i i would fact check that i don't i don't know what what the number is no i, I know they they've removed 70,000 last week so i mean the numbers are <laughs> somewhere in there yeah i mean when like for instance when something big happens like like uh the the hong kong thing or mm-hmm. or um you know china you know they they know that there's an influx suddenly of fake accounts and videos that that are not real but um but how do you you know if you if you're just i don't know it's very compelling it's very compelling and then on top of that you can go into your twitter sphere or on parlor or wherever and 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 get the same exact thing so for you everything is inverted 
it's totally different. Right. Everybody that you know and like is telling you one thing and they're pointing out all these news articles and they're pointing out all these real politicians and people saying the same things. When the president is saying that, that, that the election is rigged and it's stolen, why should you not believe it? You, you almost have to believe in a conspiracy theory in order to not believe in a conspiracy theory, right? You have to believe that the president is, is creating, you know, tre- is, is treasonous. Wow. Yeah. And that reality is devastating, you know, to them, you know, like that's. It's devastating to me. <laughs> it is, well, it's, it's just devastating in general. It's, I don't think, I mean, at this point we could, I mean, we're not going to get into a discussion of Trump, but it's, 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 he is, <laughs> his semblance of reality is well beyond our understanding of it. But the, I think the bad actors that exploit that know full well how to monetize or grift from that. That seems to be like a system yeah. that they, they're well aware of and they're like, sure of his inability to make sense of it so they're like okay well if he can't we can and then he'll just go along with it because he sees them as supporters so that brings me to my the big question here which is the platforms the platforms themselves are the biggest profiteers of this thing which is like only only when they realize that a a new government is coming in and they're under the threat of some sort of regulation are they like well maybe shit we maybe we should have uh, purged some of these things so the the responsibility I think sits a lot at the platform level of these the hosting of this that allowed this to proliferate, but now that they're purging it, it's a little it's like bringing the fire extinguisher to the embers of the house. You know, it's like it, it, sure, I mean maybe you could cool off a tiny little brush fire here, but you've already the house is well gone. Where what goes on from a game designer's perspective if they are deplatformed, where do they go? Oh yeah. Um... You know, this is interesting because from a game design perspective, this is very malleable. So, for instance, they didn't start with Q, right? It, you know, Alex Jones had a platform and uh, Infowars was a big platform. And they were talking about um, magical, sat- satanic, pedophilic goblins long before Q was. I, I believe if that's the, the timeline. And then Q kind of got hot and Alex Jones kind of signal boosted Q. And Alex Jones was the platform that was talking to the president, right? And then Q kind of overtook him and he had, he burnt out, kind of, you know, kind of fell out of favor slightly. And then, uh, you know, Q suddenly was invited to the mm-hmm. White House and, you know, et cetera, right? So if Q flames out, you know, if this, if it can't recover, um, then it will, it will merge to the next thing, but it will be the same group of people and the same problem. So um, I would say that, you know, I don't want to give them any free consulting about what they should do next. (laughs) (laughs) I have ideas. Like I I feel like I could, I could could pivot this, uh, but I'm certainly not going to. Uh, I think that there's, there's ways that they can get around it. I mean, right when they, right when they, when one of the purges happened, when they got, you know, when, when Facebook and Google and everybody just said, Hey, we're, we're getting rid of all the accounts and we're shutting down the, you know, the network said we're shutting down Acon and, and, and so on. They immediately, the, suddenly the president was talking about them like that week. And suddenly all the interest got, got reheated again. And the press started talking about it and people were like, Oh, how can I find out? But they had, they had tried to like clamp them down and then they used their, 
they're very intense PR influencer, <laughs> the president of the United States, to refire it. So, um, you know, when when he's quote unquote deplatformed, it, it might be different. Um, but I think it's improv. I, I don't think there's a plan. I think that really, and I'm saying that as a game designer, once you start an alternate reality game, no matter how well you've planned it out, it's improv. You have to adapt to what's going on around you. So I think that there are strategies that they have, but that it will be, it's to be decided. Reed, this is excellent. I have, <laughs> you. this was such a fulfilling and in, incredible discussion. Your article, like I said, has has literally like, it, the reading it is, is like, I have to, I, I, I think it has to be read by more people. Like, I think this is a really good internet literacies piece that needs more of a an understanding i think people need to really see it in the ways that you've explained it so i I thank you so much for putting it together do you have anything else you want to just throw in there or anything just so yeah one last thing is if you if you have people that you know that are into q that are into conspiracy theories don't give up on them keep them close to you get them involved (laughs) you know you don't have to fight with them you don't have to try to prove they're wrong just keep them close (laughs) That's all I'd say. We agree with that completely. We we believe that compassion and empathy is still achievable and reachable to people. And we think that that's a big pro- part of our project too, is that we want to make sure that we understand that we're human beings and the world is confusing. And sometimes yeah. it's okay to be confused. So it's, it is. it's tough. There's no, there's no right answers except, you know, <clears throat> as much communication and connection as possible. I think the world really needs people to connect right now. So calling people stupid and you're you know why would you believe that nonsense it doesn't really it just drives it in deeper and also it's not very nice (laughs) well thank you so much where can people find you uh and connect with you thank you um i'm up at uh, curiouserinstitute.com um we're gonna be redoing the site so hopefully it'll be up in some working fashion but it's up now (laughs) excellent well, thank you again. We really appreciate it. And we'll be we'll be glad to talk to you again and again in the future. So thank you for reaching out. And thank you for um, having the service and uh, talking about these issues. Thank you to Reed for joining us on the Digital Void podcast. You can read a game designer's analysis of QAnon on Medium now. To learn more about Digital Void and to find show notes of today's episode and all previous conversations, you can visit us on the web at digitalvoid.media. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll be back next week.